Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 you know what i'm saying like it could have been like easier and a lot of people have asked me like how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple and what else was it gonna like that's what the song wanted thanks for listening to this episode of the crew call podcast on deadline are you looking to step up to a 4k smart tv one that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution then we've got good news for you because the vizio 65 inch v-series 4k smart tv is now just 348 with all your favorite apps built in you can stream straight out of the box you can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app looking for a smaller or bigger screen vizio offers unbeatable prices on all v-series 4k smart tvs head to walmart.com today and score the 4k tv you've been waiting for The 2020 MLB season will be won like any other that we have seen before. A 60-game sprint in just over two months to decide who will be playing in October in a format that lends itself to the unpredictable. But that's where Greg Peterson comes in. He's got you covered daily, highlighting elements and angles that will be essential to know along with his picks with every single game on every single day. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting podcast with Greg Peterson. Formal, welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson, now powered by Book It Sports. Book It Sports is going to be coming your way right after the World Series on November 1st. It's going to change the way that you look at sports betting. It's absolutely terrific. A fine partner of ours because they are dedicated to being able to help you out with your bets. They're going to be giving you guys live line moves on the app. You're going to be able to post up your plays. Think of it as the social media site that you've always wanted for sports betting without the things that you hate about social media. So it's absolutely terrific. You're able to follow all of their work on Twitter at HQ. It's going to be available for Android and iPhone. So they are a fine sponsor of this podcast. Great to have them aboard. They're doing a great job with helping out a couple podcasts. As you know, Jeff Parles, who has joined this podcast a few times with the Parlaycast. They are in partnership with them as well. And it's always great to get on one of our good friends on this podcast as well. That'd be Curtis Rogers. 
He is out there with 710 ESPN, does pre- and post-game work with the Seattle Mariners. Going to be joining me in the second segment. We're going to talk about what we all saw from World Series Game 1, the series in general. Look a little bit forward to Game 2 with Blake Sell going for the Tampa Bay Rays. So, going to have some fun with that in the final segment. Going to give you guys a sign total for Game 2 of the World Series. It's something I like to call touch them off. First things first, I do like to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast. If there is something that you'd like to answer, fire it into my timeline on Twitter at GNSquare81. As you guys also know, the letters ZM to me mean does not matter, so you want to avoid that. You can also leave an Apple Podcast review. If you look on Apple Podcasts, you take a look at the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson, you're able to rate it five stars, and for one, that really helps out the exposure of this podcast. More people that are unaware of this podcast, they're able to see it, so I always appreciate that. They get to see the fine work that is being done here. And then with that, you're also able to send in your questions, comments, beef, what have you. So a big thank you to all of you guys that wound up doing that. And we did not get in any Twitter questions today, but we did get a nice thrashing from the Dodgers over the Rays in Game 1. So let's talk about that, try to find some trends, try to get to know both of these teams a little bit better, and dive into what we all saw from Game 1 of the World Series. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the Rowdy Recap. Things really busted open late for the LA Dodgers, and it wasn't necessarily due to the long ball. You did have a Cody Bellinger home run in the fourth inning that was able to give the team a 2-0 lead, and then you wound up having Kevin Kiermeyer in the fifth, wind up responding from there was 2-1. He wound up giving the team a solo shot that was off of Clayton Kershaw, but really that home run to Kiermaier was a low mistake that Kershaw made, and you could tell that he was pulled probably out of a little bit of an abundance of caution for Kershaw. We know that he's come up a little bit short in the postseason. We'll be talking a little bit about this with Curtis, but six strong innings. He gives up that home run to Kiermaier, but he winds up punching out eight and six innings. Only 78 pitches from there. Dylan Floro does wind up giving up two runs out of the bullpen, one of the less than trustworthy arms out of the Dodgers bullpen, but Pedro Baez, Joe Kelly, both a scoreless inning, and Victor Gonzalez was able to clean things up in the seventh inning to be able to preserve an 8-3 win. So, over gets there very easily. And if you're taking a look at the ballpark in Arlington, 70% of the games between Texas Rangers home games, along with the National League postseason, have gone over whenever the roof is open in Arlington per COVID guidelines. I don't know whether they're MLB guidelines or if they're just local restrictions. It really does not matter with regards to that. But what does matter is that the roof is going to be open for pretty much all these games. So, you do want to take note of that. And for the Dodgers, you want to take note of Mookie bets as well. He wound up going deep off of Josh Fleming, his first of the postseason. We really saw him flash the leather out there in the NLCS. He gets it done at the plate in this one. And you also had Chris Taylor being able to go 2 of 3 for the Dodgers as well. Meanwhile, for the Tampa Bay Rays, they were able to get a couple opportunities. They only wind up leaving three men on base. They were able to generate six hits. They get three runs, and I believe that they have now scored three runs or more in eight straight games. So it's not that the offense has been terrible, but they've really had to run it through Randy Arosarena along with Manuel Margot, though they were able to get a little bit of something out of Kevin Kiermaier, as I mentioned before, but they also had to dive into some of the longer levers, with Josh Fleming going two and two-thirds innings. He gave up two runs for Tyler Glass. Now, this is just not what you were looking for at the Tampa Bay Rays. Four and a third innings, gives up six runs, all of which were earned. He did punch out eight, so if you had the strikeout props for both Tyler Glasgow and Clayton Kershaw over, as I believe that both started out at six and a half. I think that Kershaw's wound up ticking up to seven and seven and a half a lot of spots. Both of those wound up cashing, and then you also had Ryan Yarbrough and John Curtis come in for a little bit of relief, but that is what we all saw from game one. Let's dive into game one a little bit further. I take a little bit of a look at the rest of the series as well and how things are shaping up for the Dodgers with our good buddy Curtis Rogers of 710 ESPN. That is going to be coming up next right here on the Baseball Bang Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson, now powered by Book Sports.
Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. We're back here in Lovey, Las Vegas for the Baseball Bang Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson, now powered by Book It Sports. Book It Sports is the app that's coming your way November 1st that is going to change the way that you look at sports betting because it is pretty much the social media feed that you've always wanted for sports betting. You get all the fun of posting up your plays, being able to track live scores, being able to keep track of your record, so much more interacting with other bettors. And at the same time, you don't get the bad things like all the political posts, the cat memes, and seeing what some unknown person that you don't care about ate for lunch. So it is going to be absolutely terrific. You're able to follow all that they do at Book at HQ, and you're able to follow our next guest on Twitter at a kid from Kent, as it is Curtis Rogers joining me on the podcast. Does an absolutely terrific job with 710 ESPN. Covers a little bit of everything. He's on the John Clayton Show. Also does a pair of podcasts, Seattle Sports Night and Seattle Sports Saturday podcast. And you're able to get those wherever you get this podcast. And Curtis, always great to have you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. Greg, great to be here with you. Great to be watching World Series baseball over the next week and a half or so. Looking forward to how this series shakes out beyond game one as the Dodgers kind of ran away with things there, at least in the middle part of the game team that uses, you know, a lot of big bats. They're playing some small ball in the middle part and help them out to uh, jump out to that game one victory. And a lot of good stuff coming up here in this series that uh, I'm looking forward to getting into. I agree with you. And just looking back at what we all saw in game one, it was nice to finally see a big outing for Clayton Kershaw in the grandest of stage. Now, he had a really good start against the Milwaukee Brewers earlier in the playoffs as well, but I can tell you, being from the state of Wisconsin, that Milwaukee Brewers lineup had absolutely no business being in the playoffs. So there was that. But for Clayton Kershaw in the first six innings, he winds up punching out eight. I mean, in the first six innings, 78 pitches, as efficient as it gets. And it's just so good to see it because Clayton Kershaw has been there, done that with everything in terms of baseball, except for win the World Series. This is the 10th postseason. If he doesn't wind up winning the World Series this year, among starting pitchers, I think that he will have gotten the most postseasons with a start without a World Series title to his name. And it was really nice to see him getting going on game one. And it certainly helps out a Dodgers bullpen that has been a little bit shaky throughout the postseason and the race. They certainly had to dive into theirs. Yeah, it was great to see Kershaw really settle down, especially after that first inning because he was up over 20 pitches. It was looking like one of those typical Clayton Kershaw big game starts where he's, for whatever reason, not the same kind of pitcher he is from the months of April through September, where he kind of labors through it. His career World Series ERA coming into tonight was just 5-4-0. is ugly compared to the rest of his career, <laughs> a career that is, you know, one of the best we've seen over the last, you know, 15, 20 years. But then, holy cow, he pitched like Clayton Kershaw of old, really shutting down Tampa Bay all night long allowing just the one run, two hits. I mean, he was just about as efficient, like you said, as it can get. And you really hope that this is something he can build on for later in this series. I'm guessing LA didn't use him very deep into tonight's game in hopes that they can get him back maybe for game four, maybe for game five, one of those two nights, depending on how the series is going. And if LA is able to win maybe one of the next two or the next two, then we may not see Kershaw again in this series just because of how far up the Dodgers would be in it. But I think the outing that they got from him tonight, they could not have asked for anything better. In considering the history of what Kershaw has been in the postseason, I think really dusted off some cobwebs and really gave an encouraging sign to Dave Roberts and the rest of the Dodgers coaching staff there because Clayton Kershaw was an ace. I totally agree with you, as we do have Curtis Rogers of 710 ESPN joining me on the podcast. 
I think that what is really standing out for me with the Tampa Bay Rays as well is that when Randy Orozarena along with Manuel Margot can't get going, I mean, it's just really a tough situation for the team. For Orozarena, he came into the series hitting for the postseason, seven home runs, nearly a 400. But aside from that, in that Yankee series, guys not named Randy Orozarena hit below a 200. I think that that's a big issue for the Tampa Bay Rays. You were able to get a solo home run out of Kevin Kiermeyer, but really past that, it was not much at all until the game really got out of reach. And that's something that's standing out for me as well. The Rays need to get a little bit of something generated on offense. I'm not sure if they're going to be able to do so, because keep in mind, this is a team that was the only one in Major League Baseball during the regular season that averaged more than 10 strikeouts per game at the plate. Yeah, that ability to swing for the fences and feast or famine with that offense, you know, it's either going to pay off or it's going to really bite them. And as we saw, it's biting them in game one. Like you said, Kiermaier just with the only bit of offense, the early part of the game with that solo shot off of Kershaw, really Kershaw's only mistake in the game. Just looking up and down the box score, there was hardly anything that anybody was able to get going against LA. And Randy Rosarena, for as great as he has been, you look up and down that Rays lineup, there are going to be some guys that are big worries, especially going up against a Dodgers pitching staff where you're going to have to face Walker Bueller. You're going to have to face Tony Gonsolin. You know, that bullpen with Kenley Jansen, who, you know, isn't the same Kenley Jansen of old, but you've also got Bruzar Grotterall. There are plenty of guys on that Dodgers staff that can generate swings and misses. And right now, Tampa Bay is a team that is missing more than they are connecting. I mean, just as somebody that followed Mike Zanino's career up here in Seattle for as long as he was here, that is somebody that is going to strike out more often than they make contact, and it's not really going to be close. Zanino's a guy that, you know, even though he plays about 100 or so games a season, he's still going to strike out about 140, 150 times. It's just how he plays the game. He is a three-true-outcome guy, and just there are other guys in that Tampa Bay lineup. I look at Yandy Diaz right at the top of the lineup too. They are a good. They are a good offense when they are hitting the ball when they are making contact consistently. They kind of remind me a little bit of like the 2015 Kansas City Royals, where they were swinging at just about everything. There were times where their offense would go really cold, and other times where it'd get hot, and they were hot enough to win a World Series. I don't know if I see that out of this Rays ball club. It is game one after all, so there's still, you know, potentially six more games left to be played. But I think the Dodgers really sent a message like, hey, swinging as much as you do against this pitching staff, going to be very tough to generate offense. I totally agree with you. As we do have Curtis Rogers of 710 ESPN joining me on the podcast. And as we're sitting here right now, we are not sure who the Dodgers are going to be going with game two. You got to think it's going to be either Justin May, Tony Goslin. Or Uli Orias, and you gotta think that you're probably gonna see two of those guys because we remember all three of these guys wound up pitching in game seven. So I doubt that you're gonna be getting more than like three, four innings out of any of those guys that wind up starting. So I do think that that's intriguing. And if the Rays are gonna be able to get back in this series, I think that game two is so critical. You're having a former Cy Young winner in Blake Sell taking the mound, but you take a look at what he's done so far in the postseason. For Sell, the ERA isn't bad. It's a 320, but he has given up four home runs in 19 and two-thirds innings with 10 walks. So I would argue that he's a little bit lucky to have right around 320 ERA in the postseason. And you take a look at what he's done during the regular season. Never went a complete six plus innings as well. 
Now, we know that the Tampa Bay Rays, they do a magnificent job with their bullpen, but I certainly have some concerns if the Rays cannot win game two that this might just be complete and utter curtains on them. I agree. I think Blake Snell is going to be a huge, huge pivotal starter for the Rays here. Pretty much the balance of this series hangs in game two. If he's unable to keep the Dodgers' bats, at least at bay, then I think it's signed, sealed, delivered. Snell has to realize that pretty much a must-win for the Rays. Obviously, they learned in their in their last series in the American League Championship Series, a 3-0 lead doesn't necessarily guarantee you're going to be moving on. But this is the Dodgers we're talking about. This is the most loaded team in the big leagues. This is a team that should have maybe a couple of World Series titles under their belts already. And, you know, they're a hungry team and they've added Mookie Betts to what is already incredibly brand organization. It's tough for me to see the Rays picking up a victory in game two just because of how determined this Dodgers team is, especially coming back from down 3-1. They've had to have won three in a row to beat the Braves and advance to the World Series. And now they're just continuing to roll like we saw in game one. It was pretty much a breeze for them from the middle part of the game onward. But Blake Snell, he's just a couple of years removed from a Cy Young award. They still have Charlie Morton, too, with Tampa Bay. So it's not like they're out of horses either in their starting rotation. It's just that I think the Dodgers right now are the deeper team. They've got the better top-end talent as well. You can probably tell I'm picking the Dodgers to win this series, especially <laughs> after game one. Makes it a little easier to make that kind of prediction. But to me, I just see the Rays continuing to kind of struggle. It's a team that you know is young. They're a team that I would imagine is going to be back in a World Series sometime soon. But I saw today there was a stat. It was actually the middle part of the game. The Dodgers had had 11 players appear in the game. It was after Kershaw got pulled. Ten of them had appeared in a World Series game before, and nobody on the Rays roster, or at least the Rays starting lineup today, had appeared in a World Series game. I think Charlie Morton, one of the few guys on that roster that has appeared in a World Series. So the experience for the Dodgers is certainly there. The talent is there. To me, it just kind of adds up to what I'm guessing is going to be a Dodgers Series victory. And don't worry, Curtis, it's not that Charlie Martin is one of the few for the Tampa Bay Rays that has played in a World Series. He's actually the only one, so there certainly is that. And when you take a look at the Tampa Bay Rays in general, I honestly think that just where the game is being played in general is a little bit of a disadvantage for them, too, because we know that the ballpark out there in Arlington, it's very much more hitter-friendly when the roof is open. It rewards teams that are able to make contact a little bit more. And with the L.A. Dodgers... Having already played their first two series out there in Arlington, I felt like it was a little bit of an advantage. Now, obviously, travel from, like, Game 2 to Game 3 is not going to be taken into account or anything like that with it being at a neutral site, but I do think that because the Dodgers wound up having two series under their belt, it's not like it's a world, it's not like it's a massive advantage that is going to make a world of difference, but I certainly do think that it is a little bit of something, and whenever you get a little bit more of a hitter-friendly ballpark, it does reward the team with a little bit more power that strikes out a little bit less, and that certainly is the LA Dodgers in this series. Yeah, I think that's a tremendous point you bring up there, Greg. Just the familiarity the Dodgers have been able to acquire with Globe Life Park there in Arlington. You know, they've played, what is it now, like 10, 11 games in a row at this stadium. So they're intimately familiar with how it plays, with how the wind affects things. I don't think the wind was something that a lot of people took into account with this stadium because it's in Arlington, Texas. You just think of the heat. That's how the Rangers stadium was for all those years. But based off of the construction of the stadium, just how the roof is, 
the wind takes it. I'm reminded of a game earlier this season the Mariners played against the Rangers. I forget what day it was, but it was sort of early in the season, and the Rangers had yet to play a game with the roof open at their new stadium, and this was the first time they had ever played a game with the roof open, and the Mariners went out and destroyed the Rangers. I think it was like 14-4 to or something like that. Kyle Lewis, Kyle Seager, they both hit home runs. It was just a mashing of the Rangers, which happened a lot this season from a lot of teams because <laughs> Texas was so bad. But it kind of was an interesting way to learn how this ballpark plays in that when the roof is open, you are going to see much more offense than if it's closed. As we know, with the COVID rules in place, with, with fans in the stands, the roof must be open. That's just how the local government there in Arlington, Texas, is able to have fans in the stands. These games at Globe Life Park are going to be probably higher scoring, I'm guessing. I can't imagine we're going to see too many one nothing, 2-1 games, especially with the offensive firepower that both these teams possess when things are going right for them. So I look at this Texas ballpark, it's going to have a huge impact in how this series gets played. I am right there with you. In the game that you were referring to, Mariners took down the Rangers 10-2 on August 10th. Kyle Gibson, a start that he put into a time capsule, you bury it into the ground, and you never dig it back up. Four and a third innings, he gave up four runs, all of which were earned. It did not go well, but something that we always want preserved, the greatness of Curtis Rogers whenever he joins this podcast. Do an absolutely terrific work out there with 710 ESPN, the John Clayton Show, Seattle Sports Site, Seattle Sports Saturday Podcast, and so much more. So, Curtis, let the good people at home know what you're all working on right now and how they're able to follow along on social media and elsewhere. Well, yeah, Greg, we've got a lot going on here. Seattle Sports Saturday uh, from 10 to noon Pacific time. If you want to stream that on the 710 Sports app or you can stream at 710sports.com. You can also download the podcast wherever it is you get your podcast: Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts. All those are there. And then the John Clayton Show from 10 to noon every Monday through Friday as well. So plenty of ways you can find me and also on Twitter and Instagram. And Curtis, always great whenever he joins this podcast, doing tremendous work out there in the great city of Seattle. And it's always nice to have him aboard. So big thanks to Curtis Rogers for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. Coming up next, it is that time they give you a sign total for Game 2 of the World Series. It's something I like to call Punch Em All, now presented by Bucket Sports here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Always great to get on Curtis Rogers, one of the best Twitter handles that you're going to find out there at a kid from Kent. He always brings it on this podcast. Does terrific work out there with 710 ESPN, just like Book It Sports is going to be doing some great work when they launch November 1st. They've teamed up with many podcasts like myself, and they're going to be changing the way that you look at sports betting. Think of it as the social media site that you've always wanted for your bets, minus all the things that you hate about social media sites. You're able to follow them at Book It HQ, and they are going to be offering you guys live line moves, place to be able to track your picks, so much more. So big thanks to both of them right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson, allowing me to be able to do what I do and now it is that time of the podcast. I give you a sign total on Game 2 of the World Series and something I like to call 
Touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at Generous41. I doubt we will find any, but keep in mind, we were supposed to have Max Scherzer start a World Series game last year against the Houston Astros and wound up getting scratched just before the game, so it certainly could happen. If there is anything that needs to be changed, I will be noting that, but with that said, it looks like we've got things set for Game 2, as it's going to be Blake Snell, who's going to be going for the Tampa Bay Rays, and Tony Gonsolin, who's going to be going for the LA Dodgers. We always go in Las Vegas rotation order, which is very easy when you've only got one game. This is 953-954. For those that are asking, your total on this game is 8 with the 8. You're finding the over anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120 on the juicy under is anywhere between even and minus 105. If you're taking a look at the Dodgers, laying anywhere between minus 145 and minus 150. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Tampa Bay Rays, anywhere between plus 130 and plus 140. I do think that Blake Snell is going to have a little bit of an issue with the long ball. I've been noting how the wind is a little bit of a factor out here in Arlington, and when you take a look at both Texas Ranger home games, along with the playoffs in general, when the roof has been open, over 70% of games have went over the total. I think that that is very important to note. And with Blake Snell, he's going up against the Dodgers lineup that drew the most walks per game in the National League during the regular season. And I mean, this is a guy that he's walked 10 batters over the course of 19 and two-thirds innings. We know that the Tampa Bay Rays in general are a team that typically has a quick cook. And for Mr. Snell himself, he has not went six full innings in a start. The deepest that he's went is five and two-thirds. So you can't expect a lot of length here. He's given up four home runs in 19 and two-thirds innings thus far in the postseason. So he's a little bit prone to the long ball. For Tony Gonsolin, he certainly did not have the world's greatest start when he wound up going up against the Atlanta Braves himself. He wound up going four and a third innings, but he was hit around a little bit late in that start, giving up five runs, all of which were earned. He has now given up at least four runs in two out of his last three starts. That is of note, but the swing and miss stuff has been solid here in the postseason. In his six and a third innings, he has been able to get eight strikeouts, but six walks, that's a little bit of an issue as well, especially for a Tampa Bay Rays team that they're towards the top of the big leagues when it comes to walks, but as we know, they're also towards the top of the big leagues when it comes to strikeouts as well. Being able to get Kevin Kiermaier going for a home run game one, I think is going to be able to help them out a little bit. Randy Rosarena, as we know, he's hitting above a 350 for the postseason. Seven home runs. He has been absolutely magnificent, but the question becomes who steps up for the Tampa Bay Rays? This is a team that they very much have been playing the matchups. G-Man Choi has been able to do a very good job when he's been put into the lineup, but he's not out there day in and day out because he's a little bit more of a platoon guy. And it really comes down to guys that you expect to be able to get on base that just have not so far in this postseason. I'm talking about William Adams, Austin Meadows, along with Brandon Lau. All these guys during the postseason have hit a buck seventy-five or lower. I've just completely given up on Yoshi Satsugo. He came over from the MPB. He was a star out there in Japan. Out here in the United States, he's sitting right around the Mendoza line. Meanwhile, with the LA Dodgers, we all know that this team is very dangerous. Corey Seager wound up being the star of the NLCS. He wound up going 0 for 2 yesterday, but we all know what he's capable of. He wound up drawing 3 walks. So, you can tell that the Tampa Bay Rays knew as well. And they were like, yeah, no thanks. We don't want any part of this. Kike Hernandez had a couple big hits out there in the NLCS as well. This is someone that has been coming in as a pinch hitter recently. A little bit of a Swiss Army knife do it all sort of player. Justin Turner down for what? Does a great job of just being able to reach base in general. Mookie Betts, who wound up struggling a little bit with the bat against the Atlanta Braves in their series, but you know what he's capable of out there in the field with how he was able to play the field in that series. He winds going deep on Tuesday as well. I mean, this is just a Dodgers team that they're locked and loaded. They 
they really didn't have to go to too many of their trustworthy relievers as well. Now, Kenley Jansen, I don't know necessarily how trustworthy he winds up being. And you got to think that if Gonsolin winds up getting into a little bit of a sticky situation, someone like Dustin May is going to be able to relieve him for multiple innings because we know that Walker Buehler is going to be starting Game 3. You also now have the traditional days off, so Game 3 is going to be taking place on Friday. So that is going to be big for the Dodgers. And then when you take a look at the Tampa Bay Rays team, I just think that it's going to be a little bit of a tough time for them to be able to slow down a Dodgers team that has scored at least three runs in 23 of their last 25 games. But with that said, I do think that the Rays are going to be able to get their runs here. I think that the total of eight is a little bit too low, but at this point, I think that the Dodgers are going to be able to get to Blake Snell. I realize that he's a former Cy Young Award winner, but for Tony Gonsolin, in the role of starter, he has been pretty superb. I think that he's going to be able to give the team like five or so innings, give up two runs, and that'll be enough for a Dodgers bullpen with guys like Bersuiter Gratterall ready to go to be able to close this thing down. So I'm going to be going with this total over, and I'm going to be taking the L.A. Dodgers on the money line, and that will wrap things up for the Baseball Betting Podcast on this Wednesday. A big thanks to our good buddy Curtis Rogers out there with 710 ESPN, part of both the John Clayton Show and Seattle Mariners pre- and post-game coverage when the Seattle Mariners are playing baseball for joining me in the second segment. If you do like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Baseball Betting Podcast, myself, Craig Peterson, you are able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. That'd be Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you ever have any questions for the podcast, feel free to either fire that into my Twitter timeline at GRS41 or send in an Apple Podcast review, rate this podcast five stars, and leave your question, comment, concern, beef there. I always appreciate you guys for tuning in. I appreciate our new sponsor, Book It Sports, as well. I hope that you're all safe, healthy, and doing well. I will talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.